The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Join, joining me once again this week is Stephen Schleicher. Hello. What's up, man? Not a whole lot. Oh, good, good, good. And across the pond, nope, just across the continent, it's Rodrigo Lopez. There are a few ponds in between here and, and where you guys live. Oh, right. That makes sense, then. We'll go with that. Uh, so this week, we're back together. We're watching a movie. We're talking about a movie. That movie is the Netflix original Beast of No Nation. Uh, this movie originally came back, uh, came out back in October with yes. a simultaneous theatrical release. Uh, wasn't a theatrical release. I thought the only place they showed it was the uh, Toronto Film Festival. Um, from what I saw, is they re- they opened in thirty one theaters. Oh, okay. There was um, a backlash to the film. Because it was being simultaneously released on Netflix, right? Where a lot of the theater chains decided they were not going to show it and mm-hmm. be poo poo heads. Well, I think they were. And so a bunch of independent theaters showed it. Weren't they more concerned that the Netflix one was going to come out before the theatrical version, and that's why they didn't want to show it? And then later, um, I forget what uh, company picked it up, um, but they. Um, uh, let me see if I can find it really quick. But then they got it released. Bleecker Street uh, got it released at, I believe, the Toronto Film Festival mm. is where it uh, came from. Yeah, um, they did. They did release simultaneously because mm-hmm. um, we talk about this later of Oscar qualifications. Right, I do. Uh, it has to be. Yeah. Um, it can't show any place before theater unless right. they change in 2012 or uh, to simultaneous. Yes. So uh, we can get to that later. Uh, but first, let's talk about this uh, kind of disturbing story. Uh, Rodrigo, what is Beast of No Nation really about from a, a big thousand foot view? Uh, Beast of No Nation is the story of a young boy who gets uh, basically conscripted into an army um, after essentially, uh, as far as he can tell, everyone in his family has been killed. Um, and mm-hmm. basically, we just follow his journey. And this is something that happens, you know, I, I think if a whole two years happens in the span of this movie, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this oh, movie yeah. all takes place probably within a year. Oh, yeah, I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like much time passes at all uh, while you're watching the film. Right. Right. Yeah, it's um pretty disturbing because we get to see just how he is. 
uh, brainwashed, how he is dehumanized, how he's broken down, how he falls into um, this routine of control. Mm-hmm. And then we, towards the end, have a little bit of hope as he's as he becomes disillusioned with this leader, right? Uh, played by um, uh, Idris Elba, and maybe starts to reform a little bit, but there's a really powerful little speech that the uh, kid has. And uh, I forget his name. Um, uh, his name is uh, Abraham Atah. Abraham Atah. Really a, great kid. A goo in the movie. Yeah. And um, he just basically says, look, I've gone through all this horrible, horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. And no matter what happens, you're always going to view me knowing that I've done this stuff as a horrible, horrible person. And I'm always going to go through the rest of my life knowing the things that I have done. And I, you know, he basically is saying, I feel like I am a horrible, horrible person. Mm -hmm. But then towards the end, we start to see him try to reintegrate with the normal childhood life. I mean, he's got to be, what, eight years old or something like that in this movie? Yeah, I mean, I would peg him probably around, you know, somewhere between eight and ten. Yeah. Somewhere. Oh, yeah. And I think the, you know, the transformation that he's uh, essentially forced to undergo under this um this this brutal leader is made even more harsh because the beginning of the film we have like i don't know was like 15 minutes of Mm -hmm. him living his normal life with his family and they're happy and you know they work and they're they get along and they have fun and they goof off goof off and they gets to do his little brother i mean his Mm -hmm. older brother is trying to work out so he can get with the chick and Mm then uh you know they're just normal life and then it all comes crashing down rather rather quick yeah, and and it's just this. It happens in a lot of the countries where you have rebels trying to take on the military, and there's clashes that are going on. And you know, fortunately, the group that he got the character got involved with was not the one that goes around chopping off people's hands um, or their arms when they so that they can't fight. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that would have been a little bit more brutal. Although we do, they do run into a group of people that do that. In the in the film, though, we're not subjected to that kind of horror. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's his world falls apart when the military moves in, and the men decide to stick around so that they can protect their shops and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the mother gets away with some kind of shady guy. Yeah, I'm not even sure she survived what, as much. What I happened guess. to her? I Which know. is we interesting because you never see. Never seen really it. what happens to her at all. No, but my guess is probably not. The, the guy is loading up the car with women only. Yeah. Well, and and forget that. I mean, if she did make it to that city, eventually, uh, Agu's battalion makes it to that city and yes. kills everyone. Mm-hmm. So yes. if she did make it to that city, some other soldier in his battalion probably killed his mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, his his uh, grandfather, his father, and his older brother are all killed. He escapes. Mm-hmm. And um, as he's wandering through the jungle all alone, he stumbles into this um, rebel group. And uh, like Rodrigo said, is conscripted into joining their forces. And it's uh, led by Idris Elba, who the commandant is very you know, strict, has them right. do certain things. Also not a, a great guy. No, and it, I thought it was really interesting that um, he brought in this mystical element to yeah, the little that battalion. Was yeah, yeah. Of, he pretty much just tells them they go through all this training, and if they 
don't screw up and get their throat slit like we see one person mm-hmm. ha- uh, uh, subjected to. He they like get blessed uh, of some sort, and he tells them that they are now invincible, and they wear right. these little packets, providing all over that them. they're they remain pure. Right, they right? remain pure. Interesting thing about that is, um, as I'm watching that, and if you read any kind of Illuminati text um, there or Freemason uh, rituals, they're using a similar ritual to that where you give you this illusion that you're being uh, that you're dying and then being reborn into something different. Mm. Um, And so that's kind of what that whole thing is about is having them cast away their old life and be reborn as these soldiers, these children soldiers to go out and fight for this cause. Right. And it's, it's very, it was, I was, I found that very surprising that they would go to that length. Mm -hmm. uh, This group would go to that length to do that to these kids, as opposed to just do simple brainwashing techniques, like stand until we tell you, you can sit, starve them, you know, uh, until they just are ready to come and to do anything that you say. So I found that very Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. It's almost like this positive, reinforcement brainwashing type of scenario well and with your father dead right with all of the your older people dead and here's this commandant that's actually fairly nice to agu mm-hmm. he looks up to him as a father and thinks that the guy's i think rodrigo somewhat cool yeah i mean definitely agu is very scared at first but um the commandant always seems to be kind of looking out for him um at least in um like at least superficially, right? He's always talking to him and 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 bringing him along on on trips and whatever. Mm-hmm. So even though he hands him off to other to other people to be trained, you know, he's always there as like this positive role model. Model, and you can see, you know, the commandant potentially having done this with everyone in this regiment. You know, kind of like bringing them up that way, taking some amount of special personal time with them to kind of build up that relationship, you know, just enough so that they're invested in him rather than necessarily the army or the cause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talking about like the, the, the blessing essentially put on them, um, those little packets they had on them, they just had spent bullets in them, right? I don't know what they had. Because in, in that, there's that moment when they're about ready to storm, uh, that city where it looks like it gets shot or a bullet comes out of him, and then it just drops. Them. Oh, it's the like shell a, The drops. shell just oh, drops okay. down in front of him. Maybe that's what was you know? in there. I I, that's know. what I thought, because he brought it to him in mm. one of those little cloth. I couldn't mm-hmm. figure no. out. I'm like, is Aubrey, I was watching with Aubrey, and she's yeah, like, are they yeah, like, really protected he, or then something? Then when he bends over to pick it up, Another bullet then, the, then a real bullet yeah. hits him in that stone. Um, what happened in that? Did I miss something, Rodrigo? Uh, yeah, that's those were like, that was a bullet. Like, they, there's a firefight, uh, you know, going on a few miles away, right? And like stray bullets are just flying at them. So what hits the ground, I don't think was a casing. I think, I think it, it was, was a, a bullet, and it just gets flattened when it hits the ground. Because mm. mm. he bends. I thought it was a casing, and he bent down to pick it up, and then that's when that other bullet hit him behind. So yeah, I don't know. It was. It was it really was interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Um. What what I found really interesting about the story and it re- i guess it really ties in uh with the title of beast of no nation when you think about it is how how vague a lot of the details were were that they never gave a country right. where this is where this mm-hmm. is at uh 
Idris Elba's character doesn't have a name, but he's just Commandant, and I believe even the head guy above him doesn't well, really have a specific called, name. Um, Good Blood or mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. So that could be his last name, or that could be a title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All we know is that this takes place in a West African country. So right. There's a lot of turmoil in, in that region all the time. Yeah. When I lived in Atlanta, I had a uh, a student who was from one of the countries in that region. And um, most of the time, he was an older person. Uh, but most of the time, he was really trying to get money so he could get his family out of there mm-hmm. uh, because of what was going on. And he went home once. We didn't hear from him for almost a year. And then he came back and he was like, I got more of my family out. So it's like, yeah, I can understand, you know, what's going on with mm-hmm. revolution and um, those kinds of things that he may have had to deal with. But, um, you know, seeing the, you know, the, the child soldier is, uh, I think really, really brutal and distressing. Right. And that's what I liked about, uh, the vagueness of the setting and some Mm -hmm. of the characters was that it's, it wasn't trying, I mean, it wasn't pointing a finger at a specific instance of this type of brutality happening Mm -hmm. but it was talking about the universal nature of how this happens regardless of setting or Mm -hmm. um what we know about it in africa and we've seen it uh in the middle east especially with isis now you talk about i mean frontline just did a whole thing about their training Mm -hmm. camps with kids Mm -hmm. and so this is not just one specific country that they're trying to highlight but is this prevalent issue uh that we're seeing across the globe right now Mm mm-hmm do you think that that worked well, Rodrigo, that kind of setting up the vagueness of it? Or you think it could have been better if it was more specific or maybe oh, more no. historical like that? No, because this is aimed at American audiences very much, it, it seems to me, mm-hmm. or at least American and European audiences. So the vagueness is fine because, um, uh, you know, they have like the... Um, the groups have names and the names are usually just initials. Right. Right. Um, and so it means that for people that are in the know about conflicts like that, they go, Oh, I see what this is supposed to represent. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And for people who aren't, they're probably, they probably just pretend like they know who those groups are. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about this. Uh-huh. Like as Westerners or, you know, as, as Americans and Europeans and people who are not, uh, paying too close attention to those conflicts, you know, more details, more stuff that was obviously that wouldn't help us because we're not familiar with the geography. We're not familiar with the history. Mm -hmm. And also it starts to throw things into question. It starts to say, well, um, this is painting this army or this group or this country in a really bad light, right. whereas things are not always like that. So, you know, these broad strokes, this vagueness allows them to tell this story, say, you know, this stuff is happening without having to say this stuff is happening exactly here. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, so Beast of No Nation is an incredibly violent film. There's a lot that we don't get to see, fortunately, yeah. right? Uh, but there is a lot that we do see. I mean, we do see people murdered. Mm-hmm. We do see people, uh, you know, the kind of uh, rite of passage that uh, Commandant does to Agu is um, when they pull over a convoy of army people, he has Agu take a hatchet, a machete, 
and split the guy's skull open because he's saying, hey, these are the people that killed your your family. Don't you want revenge? And, you know, doesn't give him a gun to do it, but makes it a very up close and personal, uh, mm-hmm. brutal statement. And then uh, Aku's friend, uh, uh, Stryka, um also joins in the act and they just you can tell that they've just lost. Everything when they're just sitting there hacking the soldier mm-hmm. to death with these uh, with these uh, machetes. So it's it gets kind of br- brutal, but we don't I mean, I think there's only a couple time. Well, there's one scene where they're ra- raiding the Capitol and uh, they're raping a woman on the bed and a goo just had enough and just shoots the woman in the head and mm-hmm. her head blows up. And there's a scene where the I mean, it just shows how dehumanized they have become when they're kicking to death a young child in the hallway. I mean, those are pretty brutal scenes, but we're only given glimpses of mm-hmm. that stuff, mm-hmm. which I think helps the film a lot. Right. I mean, uh, it's still very disturbing. Yeah. Like that scene where the commandant has a goo, um, chop up, uh, which was a scientist. He just told them this was mm-hmm. this, uh, horrible person. Um, you get, I think they take a couple of swings at him. You get like two shots of his head and then he falls down and they just continue. And it right. gets, uh, very, it's all out of frame. It's all out of frame. You just get a lot of blood splatter. Yes. Yeah, so on, yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's hard to watch at times and you mm-hmm. talk about the, um, but did the violence seem more exacerbated because it was predominantly coming from, uh, tiny children? Yes. Did that, did that make it even more? Uh, it just made it more horrifying and, and disturbing, I think, right. personally. I mean, um, have you ever read uh, Lord of the Flies? Have you read that book? You know, I, I own a copy, but I've never read it. So it's about how, well, it's an allegory right. for society, right. probably, yeah, yeah, but yeah. essentially these boys are wind up on an island and they form two cultures, one that right. wants to be peaceful and the others that just evolve into wild, crazy killing mm-hmm. uh, machines. So, yeah, that was disturbing. This is disturbing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was the violence too much, Rodrigo, or does it hit a balance that is, or it insinuates and in, in not showing at all of it? I mean, the thing is, if you get into this movie, you kind of know what you're in for. Yeah, that's true. You know, they could have done a lot more, really a lot more. This this movie, I thought, showed plenty of violence. Um, but again, it's like. You know, at the door, you're like, okay, well, this is going to be a war movie, so we're going to see some graphic on-screen violence, probably perpetrated by this cute child on the poster. Right. Um, And then, um, you know, they show some, they don't show some, Mm -hmm. you know, leave some of it to our imagination as well. I I thought the balance was fine, assuming you are aware that you're getting into a war movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is pretty clear. Do, do films like do we give more leeway to films if we know they're going to be a violent film or I mean if there's this level going into a uh, I don't know like a James Bond film I think we'd all be taken back by how much violence was in it yeah so I think the difference is the fact that even though Beasts of No Nation is um, based on real events right um, it is fictionalized yeah. But with James Bond, we know it's total fantasy. Right. This one, though, has basis in reality. And I think mm. that that, again, makes it a little bit more disturbing. Mm. And wow. um, and why it has to be treated, a little, you know, maybe with a little bit more care. Okay. And again, this movie is not targeted towards wide audiences, right? 
it's a story that they want to tell, uh, but they're not going for the same audience that is going to go see a James Bond movie. Well, I mean, a movie, any movie, uh, gets by on the expectations that it sets. And some of that is knowing what the movie's going to be about or what it's going to be like before the movie even starts, right? Mm-hmm. So we give a lot more leeway for violence to a movie like Beast of No Nation than, yeah, something uh, like James Bond or, you know, your uh, Kung Fu movie that's coming out soon or whatever, you know, like if, you know, in certain movies, someone getting someone's head, getting hit with a machete, like the guy would be like, what is happening? I just got hit in the head of a machete and then like pulls a machete out and like drops it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it like, it really depends on what expectations the movie sets. And then we as an audience either accept or reject that as the movie goes on. And, when a movie starts with happy children, but a very sad sounding narration is like back in the day, it used to be like this. You're like, Oh yeah. 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 We're in where somebody's going to get hit with a machete. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you think of, um, um, director's, uh, approach on this, uh, Carrie, uh, Fukunaga. Yeah. Uh, Fukunan, Fukunaga, yeah. Fukunaga. Fukunaga, yeah. He is the um, producer-director of the first season of True Detective, which right. you really like. which I love, yeah. And he was also, um, what's the other one that he's done just recently? I think that's his most recent one that people uh, take note of. Mm-hmm. What did you think of his directing here? And he also was, he, not only was he the director, yeah. he was also the cinematographer, the writer, and the producer right. of the film. He, so. he really did everything on this thing. Yes. Um Directing wise, I thought it was really great. I thought the performances they got out of the children, especially Agu, and I think I think the his friend Stryka had a lot mm-hmm. of um, oh yeah great scenes where he subtly plays this jealousy that's coming up in front of him from the commandant showing less favor to him and more to Agu, which I thought uh, was really was really excellent. And I thought, I mean, overall, um, I. Real, I mean, I was really. I mean, obviously, I've seen Idris Elba act before. I thought he did great here, but the children' performances in this film were exceptional. They oh, were yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was uh, very exceptional, and I, I think you know, they, where did they shoot this at? They shot it in Ghana. Um, I think the location really helped, and um. Just some great directing, some great cinematography in this. And it mm-hmm. didn't go, and I, what I was trying to get to with the um, the directing piece is because he was the producer of True Detective, there was a lot of weird trippy moments in that first season. Yeah. There are a few moments in this movie where he tr- tries to go in that direction because um, at one point to get Agu to go and fight, they drug him up. Mm-hmm. And so he's going into battle drugged up and we're kind of seeing everything from that yeah. point of view I thought was interesting. Oh yeah. That was one of my favorite scenes where, um, yeah, it's the, it cut Agu open just slightly on the, on his forehead, forehead yeah. pack him full of drugs. And then the world around him starts shifting hues and everything mm-hmm. goes into this really vivid red it's like you almost stuck him in uh like alice in wonderland for a scene and there's uh you know he's running through the forest and everything's different color and it's just crazy 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 um i thought that was a wonderfully executed scene where it i don't know it like subtly played into what 
would be happening in his mind and how he was just kind of out of it. But then there's always that dark side of this is what they actually do to kids right. to get them to fight and they make them addicted to drugs and then they crave it and then they just go fight, 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 fight more and more. Yeah. Was there anything uh, specific scene-wise to set up to you, Rodrigo? Uh, say that again? Was there anything specific, uh, like a specific scene that stood out for you? Um, uh, I, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good kind of movie stuff in here. Um, the, the scene where, uh, the commandant is getting them ready to fight is pretty strong. Mm. Um, and, and then, you know, the, that whole sequence where then, you know, he, like they walk down the street shooting people, but the commandant doesn't shoot anybody. He's just Mm -hmm. walking, you know, and yeah, yeah. waving his, waving his, uh, yeah, his little, I don't know, but it's, it's almost like a totem. Like he's blessing as they're walking uh, through the fight. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that stuff is really strong. Um, the, um, a lot of the scenes at the end, you know, this kind of like return to normal is shot in a way that is also kind of reminiscent of the early scenes as well. Like there is this kind of like visual shift, like the subtle visual shift between when a goose and the army and then the other stuff on either like basically the bookends to that. Um, it's pretty interesting, mm-hmm. but it's very subtle. There's really not much, uh, it's hard to point out anything except maybe for like the location and the lighting mm-hmm. that makes it all that different. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and that's what I find really interesting is, you know, at the beginning of the movie, he's talking about how he reads the Bible every day, talks to God, all this kind of stuff. And then as the movie goes on, the conversations with God, uh, start to cease, especially after he kills somebody or he's killing people. And then he starts to have more conversations with his mother, whom he's assuming is dead, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because he's like, uh, you know, one soon I will come and visit you and, and these kinds of things that he's saying towards the end. And then he's kind of dead and again has to be reborn, uh, so to speak, back to being a child at the end of the movie. And it's just kind of subtly hit, touched on mm-hmm. uh, right at the end that maybe he will return to a normal life. But probably not yeah so uh, speaking of those narrations do i need to get new speakers or are those kind of hard to hear are they very low-key or are i just not paying attention uh, i think he i mean I, 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 I got the gist of it but i was like i'm dropping some words in here i just don't know if it no was like i think he low. was just talking kind of normal yeah just as a normal reading kind mm-hmm. of piece um inner thought to where you would have to really pay attention to yeah. what he's saying I didn't find it distracting. I guess what I found distracting was, I don't know if it's my um, Apple TV with Netflix problem, but anytime that there's subtitles on my Apple TV, the subtitles, once I start the show, always show up like four minutes after wow. the scene. Oh, that's and weird. so it's like everything was going on and, you know, they're talking the native yeah. language. And I was like, okay, I can get the gist of what's going on and I can understand what's going on. Yes. Okay. This is fine. And then they kind of talk into English and all of a sudden these subtitles start popping up. This has happened multiple times for me. Oh, that's strange. And I was like, what is going on here? Oh, so I had terrible. to, I had to really stop the movie. Yeah. Start it again and, and hit resume, uh, position or mm-hmm. whatever it was. And then the, then the subtitles were synced up. Oh, but for no. like the first five minutes, I was like, God dang it, I hate this. And I don't know if it's my Apple TV or if other people experience no, this, but uh, I found the the subtitles to be super annoying in this movie. I think that's one of those things, one of those intentional bugs Apple puts in there to make sure you go Maybe. buy the new one. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Um, 
uh, back to the cinematography. Um, did you like his use of the fluid kind of camera throughout the piece? Yeah. It reminded me a lot of True Detective, mm-hmm. where that was, I mean, the camera was always moving, right. never jarringly, but just kind of moving subtly through the scene and following characters as they're moving through the streets and through the city and through the jungle. Um, I really dug it. And I was really surprised when I was going back and looking through um, the, 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 the credits of the film that he was not only directed it, but then did all the cinematography as well. Here's something that's interesting as I'm looking up at the, uh, the wiki page of this, cause I did not know this ahead of time, but maybe worth discussing. Uh, Fukunaga has been accused of appropriating without credit, the work of Irish artist, artist, Richard Mose or Mossy, uh, for the visually arresting sequence where Agu takes a hallucinatory drug during an attack. Uh, Moss is known for his 2013 infrared photography and video work of young soldiers in the Democratic Republic of Congo, much of which was recreated shot by shot for Fukunaga and Beast of Notation, as evidenced by Arnett's side-by-side comparison. Huh. Is there, I mean, is there a video of it? Uh, apparently online? there must be one. What was the creator's This is name? at artnet.com is where the uh, the piece is at. And uh, Richard Moss, M-O-S-S-E, is uh, who they're saying that he appropriated this from. And it does bring up a question. At what point do you move away from, at what point do you move away from, oh, this is a nod to something else that someone has done, an homage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at what point does it become, oh, you're just ripping off someone else to, A, you're just stealing now and come on. Well, that is, I mean, it's an interesting question, especially because on it, when it, as you were talking, I pulled up uh, Richard Moss and there's images of what he shot, shot yeah, yeah. and it's very reminiscent of the scene with the goo mm-hmm. running for with those shades of pink standing yeah, and if out. You see the the Artnet, if you see the news.artnet.com article, they're showing the, the picture side by side and it is, yes, it is ex- exactly, if not Ninety-five percent close, Rodrigo. What happens then? What 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 is your take on homage versus, um, you know, heavily borrowing something and then just totally ripping something off? That is that is interesting because we're talking about a completely different medium. Well, I mean, a different medium anyway, and one that is. And an artist that's trying to do something artistic and presumably also trying to bring to light these conflicts, right? So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think as long as uh, the director had been like, oh, by the way, these scenes are very heavily inspired by um, Moss's, Mossy's work. Which, are, um, which is it, still photographs, which are still photography. Yeah. yeah. It, oh, they you know, if, yeah. If, he had, if he had said, you know, we drew heavy inspiration, visual inspiration from this, I think it would have been okay. You know, like, it's like, um, I don't know. I mean, we see that stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. We see it in it's comics like, a if lot. You see, yeah. If you see a montage about... In, in a movie about the 60s, and all of a sudden you see a character's face six different times in a different color palette each like you'd you'd be like oh well i I get what that is that's a reference Mm -hmm. to a particular work of art you know not necessarily oh they're ripping off warhol Mm -hmm. Mm. i'm I'm curious i mean uh, so it's it's talking here about uh oh i guess there is a movie called enclave which is 
done in the same same way and maybe shot for shot. I I guess I don't know if it was just the still photographs that we were looking at. And those were very iconic images that people would know. And then you were using that as the basis for the sequence that you're doing Mm -hmm. that might help tie in and say, hey, everyone knows what this shot looks like from Mm -hmm. Time Magazine or wherever that it might have appeared. Here is this. But if it's uh, someone else's stuff, and again, I mean, there's a million ways to do a war movie. But on a $6 million budget, you you don't have a million different ways to shoot right. a war sequence. So there can be times when things just line up by chance, but the infrared and the, I don't know, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. I mean, so, if, I mean, just think of it, I'm, I'm just thinking of it this way of he wants to do a drug sequence mm-hmm. of what's happening to a goo and you're going to. You know, you're going to selective color change all those greens. Mm-hmm. What I mean, what other color do you really have to really start tripping everything out besides like those shades of red and pink? You don't. Oh, you can you don't really. You, you can do. You can do any number of things. But you can. But if you're you trying can to Schindler's tie List it, sure. You can. Oh uh, yeah, sure. Basically, did you guys go see the Good Dinosaur yet? No, no I haven't. No. <laughs> okay, because there is like a very out of place trippy scene in the Good Dinosaur. I could have done that. Yeah, mm. interesting. So yeah, now then does that look at this does, then does that lessen your your thoughts about the film, knowing about this controversy and, and looking at some of these side by sides already? Um, I don't know. I think it's interesting, and I I think, I mean, they obviously could all be done away with him just being like, oh yeah, totally talked to the dude before we did it. It's you know we're cool. Yeah, but it doesn't uh, say obviously it is not saying that yeah. from what you're reading. Um, I mean. We see stuff like this all the time. It's not good. It's not Mm -hmm. a good thing. There should be recognition and there should be, you know, a conversation about it. And that's fine. But we see stuff like this all the time. You know, the Matrix didn't invent bullet time. Mm -hmm. Right. But the Matrix should have made it famous. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So interesting. uh, So when I was coming up with my list of movies that I thought would be um, Oscar nominated for this year for Best Picture. Yeah. uh, Beasts of No Nation. This was before I even saw the film. I was like. This is getting a lot of buzz. Right. I'm going to bet it's best picture, even though it may not win. Um, I put even um, Fury Road up there, but I still think the winner is going to be The Martian. Um, there was some controversy on whether this was actually even going to be considered for an Oscar. Right. And because of the release window and everything and the fact that it needs to be shown theatrically um, before at the same time as a digital release, Netflix couldn't release it. So that's where Bleecker Street came in. And because they were able to... Uh, show it at the uh, uh, Toronto Film Festival uh, and some limited theater mm-hmm. releases uh, at the same time, this movie now becomes an Oscar contender. Right. Um, which I find super amazing for Netflix because they've won Emmys. Oh, yeah. Off of their shows that are not really on television. No. And now they're potentially could win an Oscar for a movie that was really intended for a digital release or i mean just being nominated for an oscar um would be somewhat of a big deal they've been nominated before with their documentary films mm-hmm. they've had uh, i think believe two nominations over the past two years um but this would really be i think a big step for digital releasing of films mm-hmm. because um the oscars in the academy are a very curmudgeon picky bunch <laughs> where, I mean, it was up till 2012 where there was some very strict rules. I mean, Igmar Bergman got 
disqu- one of her uh, one of those films got disqualified back in the seventies because it showed on European television before mm-hmm. it showed in American theaters, so mm-hmm. it got disqualified. Um, and now, in just in two thousand twelve, they changed it so simultaneous releases are okay, right? Um, but I just don't know. I think the Academy is not really keeping up, like you know the Emmys are where you have netflix winning well, awards I mean, but if you're you trying Amazon to be Amazon winning awards if you're trying to be exclusive right if you're saying hey this is for film then they will have these very specific things that they want to have for film otherwise hey somebody released a really cool video on youtube is that oscar worthy well you have to i mean then you get into the very nitpicky thing of what is a film right. because oh uh, yeah a film technically is shot on film and right it is not that case anymore mm-hmm. i was actually just thinking today i was like i wonder if I any cinematographers yeah. have won by shooting on film and then shooting on digital which i have to go back and look because that just really interests me to see if anyone's made the shift and still won an oscar for it mm, well we know peter jackson did but that was shot on digital for the hobbit yeah or for lord of the rings and the hobbit um, this was shot on digital yeah. because there is a panning sequence where you see a lot of the jello effect, which is where yeah. because of the open shutter, everything kind of tilts mm-hmm. sideways mm-hmm. at a diagonal. Mm-hmm. And there's a really interesting panning sequence toward the end of the movie. I was like, oh, this is totally digital and probably low end camera digital. Oh, well, probably. I mean, with a six million budget, you're probably shooting digital. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that discussion of what is film is certainly one that uh, has had to have come up before, especially as we m- move to that digital realm and as we get closer to the release of hateful eight um you know spike lee shoots on digital shot a thing on the iphone a commercial uh using the iphone and we see quentin tarantino addicted to nothing but film we see uh robert rodriguez who's like digital's fine there's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with that and then we see some directors who will flip back and forth between formats just depending on what they're doing so um and I don't know. Isn't the conversation going to become now um, not specifically what it's shot on? Because if we've, I think we've moved past that, especially for awards. But the avenue which they're releasing it is now going to be a signifier if it is worthy of being called a film and being worthy of nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, I mean, that's that's always the question. As, as you know, time progresses, it's like, well, you know, what about journalism? Well, nobody like print journalism is over here. And now we have everything online. Does that count? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like, interesting. And then, yeah. So if you start counting the Wall Street Journal's online articles, then do you count any blogger who counts anything as news? And it's the same thing, you know, as digital platforms expand um, and as it becomes uh, easier for people to get in on this. Basically, places like the Academy, they have to close the gates somewhere. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I mean, if you were talking about the journalism, where it was a big deal, this was like 10 years ago, where an eight-year-old blogger was allowed to go to and report on a presidential... It would have to have been eight years ago. The presidential um, um, debates... Where it's like for the first time they're allowing bloggers in to report on this live as it's happening. And, and so they're, you know, that those walls will start to crumble. And I think Netflix being in this position that it is, especially with this movie, I think is in a very interesting position to 
make that discussion very, very important over the next two years. Mm -hmm. And there will be some case of, well, okay, if we're going to allow Netflix and Amazon and Hulu to create original movies and have those be considered Oscar contenders, where does YouTube fit in? Where does Vimeo fit in? Where does, you know, major spoilers fit in Mm -hmm. if they're a release platform for something? And I'm going to be very interested to see where the Academy and other people stand on it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of for it. I kind of like the idea, but at the same time, if you open up those floodgates, the Academy is going to be flooded with potential nominations from people going, Hey, I did this Batman thing that I think you'll really like as my YouTube fan Mm -hmm. film. You actually, you actually see it in both directions. You know, YouTube has their own awards. Right. Right. And YouTubers, which is a thing, I think that people call Mm -hmm. themselves, um, complain bitterly when, you know, Rihanna wins a YouTube award because she, you know, is an artist and her production company or her, uh, recording company hires a production company to make a super kick butt video yeah, that's tied right. to the song that has a wide release. The video gets released on YouTube and everybody loves it, you know? And it's like, well, this isn't a YouTube native thing. This comes from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. These, these things of like, where do we draw the line? You always see them in media because media is fluid. Mm-hmm. All of these things that we consider to be rules of the medium are completely arbitrary. It's just that we've all kind of agreed that this is a movie and this is a TV show and this is a commercial for soap. Mm -hmm. But actually, none of those things, like all of those distinctions, we made up ourselves. None of them are actual distinctions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What just puzzles me is I don't remember anything like this when... House of Cards, Orange is New Black. Oh, no, it was a big it was a big thing when it first got nominated. People I remember when House of Cards was first nominated, people were like, what? Netflix? They're finally allowing Netflix into this. What does this mean? What is it? What's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And so there was that discussion. Was was that four or five years ago about that? Um, And you can go look for it. And it's um, yeah, it's it's really fascinating to see how that conversation went. And it's a good indicator of what's going to happen here in this uh, for piece of no nation for this kind of a, of a release. Well, yeah, it, it, I think they've embraced it so much where, I mean, they're winning mm-hmm. those. I mean, you know, orange is the new black house of cards and then transparent on Amazon. Mm-hmm. They are like, yeah, yeah. yeah, the awards. They, I mean, yeah. they, they win a lot yeah. of stuff. And then you have, I mean, well, you have so this like is, this HBO is, I mean, fitting talk, in there in a weird spot too. Right. But that's on television. That's, that's cable television for well, HBO. But even yeah. cable television had to go through that. Right. They had to yeah. go through that. Um, this is this is the great argument about disruptive technology, right? It's there to disrupt and to shake things up mm-hmm. and make us look at things a little differently. I saw a part of a presentation the other day where someone's talking about the largest taxi cab service in the world owns no taxi cabs. The largest film distributor in the world doesn't even have a physical, you know, doesn't have um, a movie theaters. And they're talking mm-hmm. about Netflix and Uber and the and these other things. So it's it's fascinating to see how people react to disruptive technology. And in general, people don't like change Mm -hmm. and they fight against change and argue against change and and gripe about change, but really change is coming whether people like it or not. Mm -hmm. And I think we're just going to have to deal with this. And and the important thing, something that, you know, when you talk about like the Oscars allowing this sort of thing or the Emmys allowing this sort of thing, Mm -hmm. that's fine. They are to a certain degree, but if they don't, and if they are very reticent, they risk losing the relevance right Mm -hmm. right if 
someday all movies will may have some sort of simultaneous digital release if if it's found to be a uh, a completely viable platform even for major hollywood releases you know and who knows what shape that will take you'll have to talk to steven in a different podcast about <laughs> what shape that will take yeah. but eventually that may happen which means if they dig their heels in and they're like nope 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 then no one is going to care about the oscars anymore because right. all the good movies will not be at the oscars mm-hmm. 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 And it's going to be really interesting. I think nominations are what in about a month. We'll find out time, pretty soon. Yeah, um, where this lands because it obviously has that buzz. And yeah, I think so it's me, well deserved you, buzz. Uh, so uh, Rodrigo, uh, best picture nomination. Ooh, um, I'd give it to Mad Max, but I haven't seen. Uh, yeah, right now I'm just saying nominations. Yeah. Oh. Um, like, what do I expect will get nominated? No, or no, what no. Would, I would, would Beasts of No Nations, would you expect that it gets a Best Picture nomination? Um, I would say no. I honestly think that it's early enough in the game that the Academy can um, easily snub a film with a wide release, um, with a, you know... The, that you know where like that doesn't star matt damon you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. zach you know i think it's gonna be really interesting because i was reading an article from Hollywood reporter how they're saying they're having essentially multiple kind of premieres or mm-hmm. watch parties mm-hmm. in la and new york and these big hubs where all of these people who are the ones gonna be voting yeah, voting, members, voting yeah. to do it to come watch the film and like what was it Ben Affleck was hosting one and other mm-hmm. famous people are hosting him too. Um, so I think it's really interesting. And I think if they do not nominate it mm-hmm. and they say it specifically because, well, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if they, they can't get around it because they did release it in theaters. Right. They can't say, right. Oh, well, you released it unless they're like, Oh, it was on digital. But they can always before. just not nominate. They can always yeah. just not can nominate always, it. Yeah. They can always just be like, Nope. No nomination. What about? You know, uh, I, I think. I mean, the, how many nominations are doing this year? Twelve or fourteen I don't or know. something? Something crazy? Yeah, twelve. Let's say sixteen. I think, I think is the max. Sixteen. I mean, I think it's one of the best sixteen films I've watched this year. Okay. Um, okay. So but I think about, there's, a, there's a lot of well, potential in the, the next uh, month for best right. picture nominations. So what about what about uh, director or cinematography nominations there? Um. Maybe I mean again it depends on many of their field. Best pictures are obviously the being the highest. I don't. I think if it gets nominated, it'll get thrown in a large best yep. picture category. But, okay. Uh, actually, I think it's the opposite. I oh, think really? That yep. I think that it's a lot easier for the Academy as this uh, huge blob to tip their hat to a movie that maybe is not doing things they want by giving it. Or by pushing it towards, you know, best cinematography, best adapted screenplay, best mm-hmm. this or that, mm-hmm. you know, basically giving it an Academy Award for an award that people tend to not care that much about, at least right. not movie people. Yeah. All the technical, technical yeah, Oscars. Yeah. So you what know, about, you see what that about all the, the time? A movie mm-hmm. will sweep the technical stuff. Right. Yeah. And still best picture, best actor, best actress, all that stuff, best director, all that stuff goes to someone else. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't think I would nominate 
for best director. I mean, it's no. good, but yeah. I don't think it's that good. Idris Elba as supporting actor. Yeah, I, I think that's baby, I think that's going to yeah. be a good. What about uh, Abraham uh, Atta, uh, who played a goo as a best actor? Um, they have relaxed a lot about nominating kids. Yeah, kind of was this thing, and then like basically Anna Paquin won an Oscar, right? Mm-hmm. And then they stopped for a long time. And then they've kind of started uh, nominating kids again. Quavanjane Wallace was right. uh, nominated for uh, Beast of the Southern Wild. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good mm-hmm. movie. Uh, I yeah. haven't seen it yet. Oh, I keep meaning oh, to see it. Oh, it's so good. Um, that would be a good nomination, I think, for him. I mean, if, if they did it, I think it's deserved. I thought his performance was great. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think... I think maybe I think it I think it's good enough to get a best picture, but I'm not sure about directing. I think adaptation yeah. it would hit uh, cinematography. I think it's very interesting what they're doing there. I think Idris Elba uh, probably not a supporting uh, actor, although he's really good in this. But uh, has, uh, Abraham Atta. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think really could be a good contender. But yeah. I also said this about the uh, the kid from Dope. Um, uh, the kid that played Malcolm, who I thought also did a fantastic job and I think yeah. deserves some kind of consideration or award. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm really kind of up on on these two as as parts that I've really, really dug. But then again, I'm looking at more commercial popular things. Mm. I, a lot of people have said the Spielberg movie was not as good as it probably should have been, even though Tom Hanks will still probably get a nomination. Um, you know, the the Ron Howard one that comes out next week uh we'll probably get a nomination probably the martian will get a nomination fury road we get a nomination i mean there's all these things but man i said do you really think we think fury we should Road's gonna get a nomination over best picture i think it will i honestly think it will i don't think it'll win because it is no. not doing anything and, and this is the thing that got me in a lot of trouble when i was on um uh, the morning stream a few weeks ago when i said no way does this movie win best picture it'll be nominated but the Academy likes to look at things that are different, that either makes them feel guilty, makes them feel good, yep. or does something completely radically different than what every other uh, thing is doing. And Fury Road, as good as it is, follows a lot of the same formulaic things that the Academy really, really hates or that the voting wow. members of the Academy hate. Well, Fury Road has everything going against it as far as the Academy is concerned. It's a sequel or, you know, a sequel and, you know, kind of a reimagining. Right. Um, it's got a lot of media buzz, but not for the reasons that the Academy tends to like, like right. a movie like mm-hmm. Beast of No Nation, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and yeah, it's interesting because Fury Road is the sort of thing that should make the Academy feel guilty, but it doesn't. Right. Especially with the whole converse. Now, the, the only thing I could really help it, though, is the whole conversation about how much women are paid and the controversy surrounding that and the fact that Furiosa is really the dominant leading character in the movie. The, could kind the of Academy. Sway them. The Academy is not in the business, though, of rewarding positive behavior (laughs) by giving someone an Academy (laughs) Award. Look at Life of Pi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There is, I had done this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I haven't done it again. If you go over to, um, if you go over to Rotten Tomatoes and Mm -hmm. you just do a search for things that are uh, tomato meter of like 90 and above, 
those are probably going to be your Oscar, your Oscar nominated films for the year. So you've got right now uh, Creed, Spotlight, Brooklyn, which I don't think is out yet. It's got a 99% rating. The Martian, Bridge of Spies, Room, Carol, which, man, that one looks really, really good. I wish it was opening here, but it will never come here. Inside Out, which has already been nominated, I think, for the uh, for the animation side. I think it's going to be like the biggest animation year yeah. ever. There's like a bunch of nominations. But if you look on there, uh, Beast of No Nation does not oh this may still be all the ones that are coming soon um but uh i don't see beasts of no nation on this list at 90 percent. even though i believe it is um i thought it was already at it's a 90 90 percent yeah. so yeah 94 percent from audiences 90 percent from the uh from the critics i think it's i think it's a contender i think it is too i mean like I said, I think this month is really packed. I think you have, I mean, you have the Hateful Eight, you have mm-hmm. um, In the Heart of the Sea. You have Star Wars. St- yeah, Star, Star Wars. Um, <laughs> you have, uh, I don't know, I'm really interested to see what the Macbeth movie does with Michael yeah, yeah. Fassbender. Yeah. Um, the Danish Girl is going to get a lot of um, Oscar buzz. There's, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, this is the month, end of November, December is the month for the films that are going to be nominated for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you look at Fury Road releasing back in what, March. They are playing against um, memory loss of all those That's old true. Academy members. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't think, I think Fury Road made a way, way bigger splash than anybody expected. Like anybody yeah. tied to that movie expected. Right, right. Yeah. You know, they were like, Let's give the Mad Max guy all the resources he needs and make a new Mad Max movie, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they were going in for. They weren't planning on the Oscars. It probably didn't become a a thing until like much later when people were like, you know, I, you know, like you, you know, you hear people on the internet critics talking about it's like, no, I think maybe Fury Road was the best movie of the year. Yeah. <laughs> you think? You know, I think people. I, Make well, a strong case I think we should it. have. I haven't, a... I haven't seen every movie, but out of the movies that we saw, definitely that summer, this past summer, mm-hmm. Fury Road was a head and shoulders above the rest. Um, I definitely enjoyed Fury Road more than Beast of No Nation, but that's my own personal yeah. bias uh, towards guitar flamethrowers and away <laughs> from actual flamethrowers. You, yeah. you know what? You know what they should have done to get it an Oscar. They should have released the uh, black and white version. You always hear about how oh, yeah, that's yeah. George Miller's favorite watch cut it? of it. No, I it's on Vimeo. It. Is it's, it the whole it's thing? It's on Vimeo, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah Scott like, Johnson watched it said it was really good. I'm sure it's great. Um, that would be something like, oh, black and white. It's yeah. been four <laughs> yeah. years since we give it to a black and white movie. Let's yeah. do it again. Yeah, it'd uh, be interesting. I think we should have, we should look and see when, what day that they're going to make the announcement for the nominations. Yeah. And then the week before that, we run down in in the top like six or eight categories or whatever it yeah, is. Make our guesses. We should make our nominations oh, yeah. of who we what we would pick in each one of those categories. Mm, that'd be fun. Yeah. I also think just go back to Fury Road right quick. It would be very telling of the uh, the nature of the Academy is if it was like oh best picture Fury Road everyone goes everyone goes crazy yeah and then it's like uh, best actor um, Tom Hardy. And then best supporting actress. Yes. Uh, uh, Shirley oh, Theron. Right. Like everyone's then like, people what? would be like freaking out on that. Yeah. I don't know. I think if that happens, I think you'll watch the internet just 
dump its pants. <laughs> Look, in the in the end, the most important thing about you know who wins this year is who deserved to win one, two, or three years yes. ago. Oh, well, yeah. and that's and why that I is think very likely to see who will win. And you know, if Matt Damon did something big, and I don't remember uh, two or three right. years ago, and he didn't get the Oscar, he might just get it this year. Oh. And that's why I think George Miller has a real shot at at least getting a director nomination here. Because he's been around since forever, and he got a lot of he got a lot of crap for Babe Pig in the City and Happy Feet, and this may be the Academy's way of saying, you know what, you're not a bad guy after all. Yeah. Well, that's why I think Leonardo DiCaprio, without ever seeing The oh, Revenant, the, he's uh, gonna win the Best Actor Oscar. That's I mean I haven't seen anything else to prove me wrong unless that movie just tanks and is horrible. I don't think it's going to be. I think he has won it and we no should, one else should We should just matter. do our Oscar nomination prediction show and then we should do our winner show. Oh, yeah. You know, like a week before those things are announced. Yeah. Pick them after yeah. they actually are announced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be fun. Yeah. We'll do that in the future. But right now, that's the end of this show. Head to Majorspoilers.com where you can find this podcast page and so much more. Give your thoughts on any of our conversations from this episode or any of your thoughts from watching Beasts of No Nation. It's up on Netflix. You can go watch it right now. For free. And oh, yeah. Of course, your Netflix well, subscription. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, you know, but you know. It's a two-hour and 17-minute movie. Yeah, it's, it, it's a nice chunk. Yeah, it is. Uh, while you're at Majorspoilers.com, click on that Amazon.com button. Do all of your great, great holiday shopping. So many deals all the time. Amazon is just giving stuff away. Um, not quite, but pretty much. Uh, when you buy stuff through that link, a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers to help keep this giant ship afloat. Uh, but that's it for this week's episode. Next week, uh, it's something special. You'll just have to download the episode and find out what it is. It'll be next week on Zach on Film. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.